again, my gorgeous listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Glow West podcast, where we chat about sex, sexuality, and the body. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West, and as always, I'm delighted to be part of the Tortoise Shout Network, where you can find all sorts of wonderful content on politics, culture, society, and sex. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise If you like what we do, please do support if you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise as it really does help to keep the mics on and the content going. Or you can pop over to Apple and rate and review. Today I'm talking about something that some people might view as controversial, others dismiss outright and others view in lots of different ways. This is the topic of sex addiction and porn addiction. So here to shed some light on this is my guest today, Aoife Drury. Aoife is an accredited psychosexual and relationship therapist and she's currently carrying out a doctorate in DCU. She has a bachelor's in science and master's in science in psychiatry and Aoife is passionate about debunking mental health stigmas and creating a safe environment to talk about sexual health challenges. Aoife runs her practice online seeing both couples and individuals. Aoife, thanks Emil for joining me today. How are you keeping? Good, yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I'm delighted to be here knowing all the work that you do and um, knowing you and um, you've just had such incredible guests on with a wide range of topics um, that have hopefully shone a light and helped you the you know wonderful work of debunking some of those stigmas and shames that we all hold around sex and sexuality so I'm very grateful that you've asked me to be here too. Oh, listen, you've been a long time guest on the wanted list so <laughs> we're glad to finally get you get you going so like this is really really quite an important topic really because we see this in a lot of media headlines and you know Oh, even like when Harvey Weinstein came out, you know, he he tried to paint himself as a sex addict and checked into a clinic as if that would absolve him from all his uh, crimes and misdemeanors. Um, but I think like one of the missions of the podcast is removing shame and stigma from sex. And I feel that the talk of addiction can really be bound up in shame and stigma. Do you agree with that? Um, absolutely. And I think that's any addiction um but particularly perhaps when um porn and sex some of uh, masturbation of course um the the kind of vulnerable real vulnerable parts of our lives that um we have and struggle with misinformation myths um a, a real kind of secrecy to it um a shame correlated to sex and um sexuality there's that that sense of vulnerability that sense of isolation that sense of keeping secrets that reinforce shame so i think for when we talk about addictions and we're obviously going to talk a little bit more about um that in, in relation to to poor and masturbation and sex um and how we don't actually classify it as an addiction um but uh that it doesn't mean that it doesn't feel like one um, and that just amplifies that isolation that I think people feel especially when it comes to sex like a lot of us can talk about sex for you know we're a little bit abnormal in this that we talk about <laughs> sex on a, a very regular basis in in the public eye but a lot of people would struggle to you know communicate their desires and or you know, if they're viewing their own desires as somewhat off the beaten track, you know, if you're going into the fetish yeah. realm or 
the fact that you know if you want to have sex 10 times a day or if you want to masturbate 10 times a day and all that silence kind of feeds into like a very negative view and again builds up that shame and stigma because like you said this is something that goes on in private you know people don't generally talk about sex and they don't generally talk about when mm-hmm. sex goes wrong as well so you know that that silence how, do, how does someone move from that silence into naming what's going on for them then I think that's um I think that's a really difficult thing to do and a really brave thing to do when um it's this real level of distress I suppose um and um isolation and then having to identify that perhaps sex and and masturbation um are the the reasonings behind it and trying to identify it as far as I'm aware in terms of my practice sometimes it doesn't happen until something goes wrong so um a lot of money is perhaps spent on um sex workers and perhaps um a, a partner has uh, discovered an affair and perhaps it becomes fearful in the porn that they're watching or using perhaps they can't get on with their work day and that tends to be the, the, the it tends to come to a point of where it's just tipping tipping over into their personal life and um, so that's when I tend to see people presenting in my clinic room and um, so when the tipping points just over and then they're really reaching for help and support um, yeah so are, are people who are coming to you they, they may be looking online and seeing oh you know this sounds like sex addiction or porn addiction and, and mm-hmm. are they coming to you as almost self-diagnosed already Yeah. Well, I think you made a really good point at the start and and the kind of media components um, um, to sex and porn addiction. We've seen it and from anything, even from back in the day, God, I don't know how many years ago it was, Russell Brand. um, and he he was a huge sex addict, allegedly, at the time. Like that was a very dominant media discourse. Yeah. Whereas, unfortunately, you know, the, the science just doesn't really back the the phrase addiction up as of yet so the world health organization um the icd-10 the dsm-5 which i know are very big big words for people who who aren't very aware of of mental health and how we diagnose it but these are basically these massive books (laughs) that we have in order to diagnose people and and up until recently the icd-10 ICD-11, which is part of the World Health Organization, basically the World Health Organization said we still don't have enough scientific research that is effective and clinically analyzed to be able to call porn use, sex use, masturbation as an addiction. But what it is, is a compulsive sexual behavior. So it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't mean that it doesn't feel like it's an addiction that you can't stop that still feeling is there but there's just not enough scientific research to back it up so it originated from Patrick Carnes in the 1980s who's developed loads of books and Paula Hall's another woman who's been amazing I did some training with her on sex and porn addiction um but unfortunately part of the way in which it works is an addiction model. An addiction model is using things like abstaining and refraining and relapse, which actually just tend to reinforce shame. So that's not how I and many other 
um, psychosexual therapists, um, psychologists, or anybody who's working within the field um, uh, operates. It also seems very unrealistic. Like, obviously, you can live your life without heroin or alcohol or whatever an addiction of a substance might be. But living your life without sex, you know, okay, of course you can do it, but it's also a normal healthy part of life whereas obviously excessive alcohol consumption isn't so much so mm. like to, to ask someone to abstain for the rest of their life from sex doesn't seem to be realistic and like you said leads back into shame and, and stigma and that sense of you know why shouldn't they be able to do something that is so pleasurable mm. like yeah and that's exactly how I operate and how many of us operate, which is how do we form healthy coping mechanisms? Because ultimately what we tend to see is that somebody's not just presenting. So ultimately it's it's um it doesn't tend to be that people are just presenting with their compulsive sexual behaviors. What we tend to see is there's depression, there's isolation, there's stress, there's perhaps a bereavement. And many, many, many of my clients that, that I've seen over the years have perhaps OCD tendencies or OCD in themselves. And um, so there's, it's really about um, porn and sex being used as a coping mechanism that unfortunately erodes our, our ability to manage during the day if it's, if it's unhealthy. So when it comes to things like sex, you know, sex is something that's generally free unless the person is going out to, to yeah. meet with sex workers. It's not necessarily dangerous, again, unless you're you're actually having sex with other people. So masturbation at home is pretty safe unless mm. you're going to rub yourself raw and you might need yeah. some medical attention. But overall, yeah. you know, it, it's pretty safe. It's free. No one's going to notice it on your bank account because, you know... Yeah. It, it, it's it's all those kind of things so it feels like it, it's something that can kind of either go on for a long time or people won't see it in the same vein as other addictions in that case or um it, it seems to be it's a weird balance of some people might not see it as very harmful and others see it as very harmful because it doesn't mm. have those same characteristics of an addiction so to speak I love that you brought that in because um when we look at the DSM-5 or the ICD-10. Um, and I know those are, yet again, those kind of big words and um, they don't sound very personal. But actually, one of the big things in that is the word distress. So for one person, their sex life, their sexual behaviours are healthy. And it, they may be masturbating the same amount as somebody else, but when it causes a person distress. So it tends to be, yet again, things like wasting, what feels like wasting a whole day masturbating. A lot of the time it's involving edging, particularly. So you're kind of getting to the point of no return and then you're stopping and, and that kind of repeating on on, on, a, um, on a daily basis. And you've missed maybe meeting up with a friend or the big part is the guilt or the shame that's, that's left at the end. Um, and that's where people... Um, because, of course, you're saying it being free and being attainable and it necessarily being safe. And um, but the other thing, you, which I think is another important point that you made that happens is damage, damage, particularly to the penis, which is um, a lot to do with maybe using, you know, masturbating for such a long period of time. Um, and um, and that's another 
time where people may um, come to my office. Um, and um, yeah, there's something else I was going to say there would probably probably come up, I'd say in a minute. But um, I think for me, it's it's definitely a part where people um, are feeling isolated, lonely, um, shame, guilt. Um, and the difficulty is, is that um, really it does need a therapist to be able to help you manage your way through it. And that's the first thing that I try to do with clients is just say, we're here as a team and we're working together. You're not alone, despite this feeling of isolation and loneliness that that, of course, um, as we spoke about at the beginning, can happen, feel like when there is such a level of shame. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a great message to send out because I'm sure there are a lot of people struggling with, you know, mm. you know, some of the the more common questions that I get is, is this normal? And whatever happens to being related to, but we're all worrying if we're having sex not enough or too much, or, you know, if our desires are normal and our libido is normal, all those kind of things. So, but I know, and you know, some of the things like, so the DSM, some people say it's the Bible of mental health. So if, mm -hmm. if, if it's in there, that's how you get diagnosed with whatever you're getting diagnosed with. But some of the numbers might be kind of very arbitrary. So say if you're talking about thoughts of anxiety and it's like if you have anxiety more than three times a week it means maybe you have an anxiety disorder and it's it's you know right. that that those kind of numbers of like three times a week maybe yes you know I, I think they're just kind of like a potluck kind of thing whereas mm -hmm. you know if someone masturbates three times a day that might be completely healthy for them it might give them like lovely endorphins to might go on with their day and not have a bother but like you're saying it's the distress thing so if someone is mm -hmm. masturbating three times a day and they feel upset about it that's maybe where the key comes in more so than the number I think absolutely and that's how I particularly work with any sexual dysfunction so a really good example is like premature ejaculation, I even just wrote about it recently on an Instagram post, is that difference between somebody who who um, ejaculates after three minutes versus uh, somebody who uh, and is and is feeling distressed by that versus somebody who ejaculates after three minutes and is happy and fine. Same thing with maybe erectile dysfunction, somebody with a penis who um, is struggling with gaining and maintaining an erection feels overwhelmed and upset about it by somebody else is actually very happy with their partner and being able to experience sex because of their ways in which they view sex and the ways in which they pleasure and desire. That, that's a really important thing. So when it comes to like length of time for penetrative sex, you know, what we're talking about here, I think a lot of that is due to sex education. And again, if you're watching porn again and not understanding what actually goes on in porn. So we're not equipped with porn literacy skills of understanding that those are professional performers. There's a lot of breaks. There may be some substances injected into the penis to continue on with, with the erection. There may be Viagra involved. They may they may orgasm 10 times behind the scenes, but you're mm -hmm. only seeing the, the one on screen money shot, so to speak. So maybe do you think it's it's people comparing themselves to porn and think, God, I can't have penetrative sex for three hours at a time. And spoiler alert, a lot of people don't even want that. <laughs> That's not a goal for a lot of people. Yeah. But do you think that's part of it? And really, they have nothing to worry about, but they're, because they're comparing themselves to porn, that's where the issue is coming in. Yeah, I, I mean, you're the expert in this area. But um, 
but one of the big things I say to people is is particularly for looking at mainstream porn um that um that there is this um kind of the male gaze around it right and um it's it's porn isn't necessarily the issue it's how you perceive porn it's how you it's how you understand porn just you know, not to dumb this down completely, but in terms of Disney movies, if we thought our romantic life was going to be like um, Sleepless in Seattle, um, okay, probably not, not the best <laughs> option. It is a little bit depressing there at times, but you know, that's actually, it's funny. It's just, I watched it the other night and there's that sense of magic and, you know, they, they touched each other's hands and and it was like, oh, we've just connected. Um, but um, I think it's it's about having like an, an ability to watch porn and understand um uh, that it is a movie it is there's directors there's scenes there's um there are lubes behind the scene there there's um lots perhaps a covering every so often and um, lots and lots of lube um and that's where ethical porn steps in so when i talk to clients about porn use i don't say don't watch porn i say you know what do you want to get from porn? What makes you happy and comfortable? And there's ethical options, there's ethical porn, which is catered to be able to normalize what happens in interactions. And yeah, and shows like the first time I saw a non-erect penis in porn was in ethical queer porn. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's so unusual you know but it was so nice to see because that's what happens in real life you know the, sometimes penises don't work and or they mightn't work for a few minutes or whatever happens to be and it's nice to see that different depictions on, on screen but I want to go back to something you said there about how you're working with people so if we're saying all these huge organizations have said that porn addiction and sex addiction aren't really a thing because the research isn't there to back up yeah. these claims and it might be something else instead. Sex or therapists in Ireland don't get any training around sex on a general basis. And I've trained therapists who've said they, they've received no training around mm -hmm. sex and porn, apart from the training that I've given them. Then you have a sex negative society, which Ireland generally is for a lot of the time you know we've a lot of hangovers from the old days so if you have someone coming into your office and you're diagnosing them as having a sex addiction or a porn addiction or you're suggesting it to them maybe not diagnosing is the wrong word there is that not really unethical to think that you're putting this in someone's head when the research isn't there all these health organizations are saying this isn't a thing yeah you don't have the proper training to address any kind of sex issues because you haven't been trained in any kind of sex um, mm. dysfunctions or anything like that. How is that not completely unethical then to suggest to a person who is vulnerable, who is in distress and is coming to you for help that they might have something that may or may not exist and you don't have the training for? Yeah, yeah. I think there's two things in that, which is firstly, people do work under an addiction model and it works for some clients. And I really work in a kind of person-centered approach. And if somebody says, Aoife, I need to abstain for whatever period of time, that's okay. I'm not, I'm going to say to them, okay, like, you know, from the way in which I work, I don't actually advocate that. Um, but I will work with you and I will help you through this because everyone's an individual and that's part of the challenge that's actually within the addiction model it's not necessarily individualized and um, so that's the, the the 
people can work with an addiction model um, and it is what it is, you know, and I, and I think um, there is also the, the possibility that um, we will be having a conversation in two years time and actually some major research has come through to say it is an addiction, you know, that that's possible um, because we're all learning all the time. Um, in terms of the way, in terms of therapists, I think the first thing is, to me, regulation is really important and we need the regulation to come in. That's not, not, not in the UK either, but we need it to come into this country um, to protect people, you know, clients, protect the possibility of harm occurring. Um, it is a challenge because there is not enough training or any training actually in this country. If you want to be a psychosexual therapist, you have to go over to the UK. Um, and that does mean that people, that therapists are struggling um, when a client walks through the door with something that they haven't read up on, understood, and may struggle to refer on to other people like myself. Um, what I would say to anybody who's listening to this podcast, who is struggling with feeling that they, they are addicted or that their, their, their behaviors feel out of control. Um, one of the wonderful things about COVID is that it's facilitated um, more therapists to open up their doors online. So just because you're not isolated to the therapists in Ireland, um, there are plenty of therapists you know, of course, keeping within um, time zones, but you don't even have to um, in in the UK who would be able to take you on, who um, have space capacity, um, which is a little bit of a struggle with COVID at the moment for all of us. But at some point you will be able to see a therapist who has adequate tra training. Um, that's been a great thing from COVID. I've been working online for five years. Um, and now people are really going, oh, OK, this can be done. Um, so particularly people who have extensive amounts of research behind them. Um, so that's, it is great. Um, yes, there are challenges within this country, but I think we're working towards it. People like you, Caroline, you know, who are, who are talking openly about sex, sexuality um, on online platforms and hopefully creating um a bit more of um, an understanding and awareness and a safe space for people to be able to start really um, looking at ways to get the help that perhaps they need. Yeah, and I think it's important for people as well if they were considering going going to a therapist about this just to check out the therapist qualifications and ask them you know where they can refer you on to if it isn't their field um, of but study but again like yourself you, you you're clearly advertising as a sex therapist because you are yeah. one so it's nice to know that you know there are people like yourself out there finally in yeah. Ireland like which is a great thing but take me back a little bit again like let's let's have a look at the language so we talk about language on the podcast a lot and we've had a lot of recent conversations in Ireland about the importance of language especially in relation to things such as revenge porn and how we need to rename mm. that as image-based sexual abuse and and the language really does matter and things like child porn which isn't child porn it's filmed sexual abuse of children um or sexually explicit content of children so using 
the term sex addiction is the term compulsive sexual behavior then more the term that we need to be looking at especially when it comes to like media discussions or you know like posting on our instagrams as sex educators around this or you know is there a different terminology that you feel fits what's really going on yeah i i mean i use um uh, compulsive sexual behaviors all the time i gave a presentation the other week and reiterated to the therapist in front of me this is not there is not enough scientific research um because um ultimately what we 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 do is is there's this we all tend to know there's a 12-step model right for for addiction um and that it means just like we talked about at the very beginning, abstaining, refraining, relapse, those are words that are all used within the um, sex addiction essay um, uh, model. And if you are none the wiser and you feel you have a sex addiction or porn addiction, um, you may think that you have to abstain and that you can never have sex again, you know, because you don't know how to control these behaviors and the only way of controlling is by not doing them at all and that's where language is so important and that's where the power of 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 challenging the narrative that they're not clickbaity you know with without you know having a pun of this making a pun of this but like they're not sexy mm, yeah um and um and that's where and we've seen it in the media this week we're talking about hundreds of thousands of images being released and yet the media is still referring in headlines as revenge porn. So it's going to take a while to change the, the thought processes and to be fair, it's not going to probably happen very easily with all you know, media outlets because it's clickbait. That's how they draw people in. Yeah. And obsessive compulsive behaviours doesn't really draw the reader in no it's not as like you said as sexy and it's also an extra word and sometimes a headline <laughs> needs to be very short sometimes yeah. but I, f- I feel like it it can be an excuse as well sometimes if we're talking about the addiction thing you know I'm thinking of the Harvey Weinstein like we said um I, I'm thinking of one of my 90s obsessions Katie Price Jordan and when she, her mm. husband is it Kieran cheating on her all the time and he was like oh no no I'm just a sex addict and I feel like sometimes it's like a lazy excuse for not really addressing what's actually going on under the surface because it's easy then to say oh it's porn's fault you know or you know what whoever's fault rather than addressing the stuff that's going on inside you because again this can be linked to trauma which is obviously very difficult for a lot of people to start pulling apart and tackling so it can be easier to go oh it's not my stuff it's porn that's the problem Mm. so Mm -hmm. do you think that is 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 a kind of a a bit of a scapegoat for people to not deal with their stuff firstly i think i would say and using the colloquial um sex addiction phrase um because uh it's it's easier and it does roll off your tongue a lot a lot quicker and smoother Um, sex addiction does not equate to a sex offender you can be a sex addict and not a sex offender and a sex offender and not a sex addict um and 
that's another way of that fear of, oh my God, you know, I'm a sex addict, in which case there's something bad or something wrong with me. Um, and the same thing with, with porn. That's not the case. And I think um, particularly in, in those examples that, that you've given, that they there is partly to do with maybe maybe the media riling things up and 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 also if if most people who can get out of out of things easy and there's a phrase there's a so maybe they'll use that I, I but um and I don't know much I did hear about Katie Price's um husband was it husband um I think yeah, uh, she married him <laughs> yeah. yeah and of course you know the, the Harvey Weinstein um and and his um deflection I suppose of of the way in which he behaved which was outrageous and um was an offensive offending <laughs> I mean but that's the thing. it's easier to paint yourself as a victim rather than a perpetrator of abuse so if you can say oh I'm a victim of porn addiction it's a lot easier to say that rather than well actually I sexually assault people a lot of the time when somebody comes into my clinic room I talk to them about how they manage difficult emotions. And just like people may run, go for runs um, and, and overexert themselves or eat loads of sweets of chocolate and, and, and feel horrific afterwards. Um, it's not dissimilar to managing how we feel about ourselves. So sometimes it's a developing healthier coping mechanisms or actually just looking at new ways to to uh, manage your emotions to regulate your emotions um, to work on attachment styles um, to work on trauma um, and that's what I think is the most important thing it's not about eradicating the porn and eradicating the masturbation developing a healthier happier way to look at it I think that's that's a really important point because things around trauma are so deep seated for some people, you know, they could go back to childhood or longer or whatever, um, or like could, could be going on for a really long time. And sometimes it's really hard to deal with that. A lot of people just shit it up and they don't deal with it because it, it's it's too hard. But then if you're getting into an adult relationship where sex is involved and your trauma is somewhat around sex or whatever it happens to be. Like it's almost easier to to look at porn and masturbate rather than deal with another human that's there mm. and that has their own thoughts and feelings and needs and desires and everything else. And that can be really quite scary to a lot of people. Whereas if you're just dealing with porn and masturbation, there's no judgment. You know, you don't have to deal with another human. Um, it's literally just you in this space that you don't ever have to tell anyone about even. And there's no risk of any kind of like oh you're into that like what a weirdo whatever judgment that kind of has to be so do you think it, it it is that kind of you know the easier option rather than the harder option of of functioning in an in a healthy adult relationship yes absolutely i mean i i'd probably be mindful of of the easier and harder part because just for the individual component but um I would definitely say that I mean even you talking through that um way of 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 it being really difficult to maybe connect with somebody and feeling safer in in porn and safer with yourself um, and even safer with sex workers that maybe there's this emotional um disconnect from um 
it's a really lonely place to be. And then add that on with trauma and attachment and maybe low mood, depression, intrusive thoughts, um, OCD components to it too, anxiety, high stress levels. Um, it's really, really lonely. And I can really like emphasize with people. I'm actually, I've even got little chills going up just thinking about how lonely that must be. And um, and that's what I work with, you know, like when somebody presents to me and, and they're facing these struggles, um, we start with that. We start with the attachment. We start with their childhood experiences. We start with any trauma that may have come up for them and how they manage being overwhelmed. And we look at, you know, mental health aspects, um, thought patterns, how they feel about themselves, self-esteem, which tends to be eroded with, with using porn or, or, or using sex in a way that's, that's perhaps harmful or disintegrating for how they feel about themselves. And we really just want to work on how they feel in the world and making that a lot better and safer and building up in that self-worth. Um, and the rest tends to follow. We work it all together, but it starts off with that person first. Yeah, because we're all so unique and, you know, we're all going to address things like trauma completely differently and, mm -hmm. you know, look at sex completely differently as well. So, you know, this, what is it, 8 billion people in the world? So there's 8 billion mm -hmm. different ways to have sex. So it gets complicated. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to me about the religion aspect. So I've seen some studies that have shown that the more religious a person is, the more likely they are to believe in the concept of sex addiction and porn addiction and they've looked at this in certain parts of, of the US where you know reli religi what's the word? religiosity um mm -hmm. may be quite high and you know things like you know the Mormons who would believe that masturbation is a sin so they're obviously more likely to believe in, in addiction and, and that kind of aspect as well and obviously there's a lot of religions where masturbation is a sin so do you yeah. think that that plays a part as well and Ireland is in a weird place right now where we're not as religious as we were but we still have that kind of religious hangover over our heads that you know it's still very fairly reflected in our society today um i've never heard of those studies and um that's really interesting um uh, particularly if it's maybe like mormon um cultures but um but um it doesn't surprise me of course at all um I think there's, I think anytime there's shame and there's guilt correlated with sex, um, and that isn't addressed growing up or challenged growing up internally um, or externally, um, that tends to be problematic for how you view sex, view relationships, view masturbation, etc. Um, I mean, I think even as, as you're absolutely right, in terms of Ireland, we've, we've come a long way. There's still a long way to go. Um, but um, yet again, in the presentation that I did the other uh, last week, um, and I was using beliefs that we have, and, and really it was about challenging therapist bias. Um, and uh, one of them was um, masturbation. We, you shouldn't masturbate. And I used the word shouldn't. Because, like you said, language is so powerful. And if the word shouldn't, which is, is a cognitive distortion, which fits into guilt and reinforcing guilt, 
and almost then as well adds that sense of shame if you've done it, then you're bringing on to the part of I am bad. There's something wrong with me. I'm defective. I am flawed. I mean, you know, all of those parts that are really, really isolating and damaging, eroding and of our self-worth. If that originates from such young years that are quite stringent and rigid and there's these rules that we have about how we should and we shouldn't live our life it causes a lot of upheaval for us then and so how do we view sex and how do we view sexuality and how do we view even we won't even get into pleasure because that makes it even more complex um but that i think is your yeah particularly in in very strong religious and uh, cultural components, which is exactly what I do with every single client that comes through. What was your sex education? How do you feel about sex? What did you learn in your childhood experiences? What was your family dynamics like? What was nudity like? Like all of these components are absolutely vital to understand how we see ourselves and our sexuality in the world. That's an interesting point there about the sex education. And I wonder about, you know, countries that have really comprehensive, in-depth sex education. I wonder what their rates of people who are, you know, thinking that they might have an addiction are in those places or, Mm. you know, like what's the compulsive behavior or if they have decent access to mental health supports to deal with trauma, you know, all those different Mm. factors. I wonder where that would go. But what would you like to see in in terms of sex education then to kind of make people a little bit more aware of, you know, all the things we just said there? It's so complex, I suppose. There's no one simple answer. Yeah, I think a huge part just even tackling the kind of compulsive sexual behavior, porn, sex addiction is, um, you know, porn literacy, as as you speak about, um, but also pleasure and desire and an arousal, of course, and, and kind of understanding those in a in a way that that's is not with um, rather than coming into it, which I, I don't know about your sex education. It's actually probably one of the one things we haven't actually discussed. But I remember mine, which were two men. Um, very religious men um, from a church come in and talk to all of us at a, at, a se- at seventeen. Um, uh, a bit late for some. A bit late. A bit late for some of us. Um, but um, really, that sense of judgment, the projection going on, um, and I mean, they did tell us that if we use the pill, we would likely get cancer. With a room full of you know, impressionable girls, um, most of whom probably were on the pill because of, yeah. of skin issues, right? Yeah. Um, and there was there were tears. There were a lot of tears. Um, um, that what masturbation was a sin. Um, and uh, you know, abortion was a sin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All the, the kind of classic stuff. Um, that wasn't not to give away my age. That wasn't that long ago. Um, and. I think that's the part. If we give sex education that's based on science, based on research, equally based on the pleasurable component, the safety component, the desire component, um, I think that will massively impact the healthy view of masturbation and sex. You're absolutely right. Like, pleasure is not a dirty word. Mm. You know, I really, it's like, 
it's the fun part of life but even the words that, that I'm thinking of when it, when it comes to sex we think of d- dirty you're going for a yeah. dirty weekend or yeah. you're naughty like these things mm-hmm. are like they're very negative in themselves and you know obviously we have language such as slow and and all the double standards mm-hmm. and gender that come into it as well and it, it's like it's very difficult for a lot of people to name what their pleasure is define it for themselves and actually then enact on that and no matter what it is if it's in the the majority or if it's like a, some something that's like extremely kind of niche but it, it's just like why are we so anti-pleasure like how do we mm. how do we smash that and, and build a healthier society where pleasure is just a normal thing we we seem to accept pleasure in like drinking alcohol in ireland but apart from that pleasure seems to be like oh no you, you can't you, you can't love yourself because you know that was an insult growing up like oh oh they love mm. themselves and it's like well that, that's what it should be <laughs> you should love yourself yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's even interesting in terms of like the word ego has just come to mind when actually as a psychotherapist, like when I when I use the word ego, I tend to be referring to like Freud or Eric Byrne, you know, in terms of transactional analysis Um, not not that sense of ego that that's correlated with something being bad or wrong about being confident in yourself. Like, how dare you? Um, so, I, I mean, I think to be honest, the biggest components are things like social media, using platforms, creating like posts that are yet, and one of the things I always try and do with my posts is have scientific backup with it because it's like, this is, this is okay. This is safe. This is normal. You know, like there's, there's research here to even demonstrate it. And podcasts like yourself, you know, talking and having guests on with such an eclectic background, talking about all their different experiences um, and um, and insights, which are just invaluable tools. It's, it's nice to have a platform for people like yourselves to come on and talk to, you know, everybody, because that, that's one reason why I'm, you know, I've been through academia, but I'm not a fan of it because like, what's the point to preaching to the converted or yeah. having your articles just behind paywalls? It's like, you know, the rest of us want to know about sex too, <laughs> you know, not just your colleagues in academia who think, oh God, here she is with the sex talk again. But, you know, that's a different story. But I suppose, on, on, you know, wrapping up, I think mm-hmm. if, if there's someone out there that feels like this maybe applies to them and they might have, um, distress like we've said about the levels of sex or their thoughts about sex or you know just that that kind of any kind of trauma thing there obviously apart from going to yourself what what can Mm. they do to start that process of of, you know addressing this this issue in their lives if they you know have listened to this podcast and they say oh actually I think this is an issue for me to anybody who's listening and, and thinks I, I'm struggling, that is the first step. And that is very courageous. And that is a scary place to be because you're asking for help. And um, we're we're not great at that, you know, as individuals, particularly in this society, added on when there's sex, right? Um of course, you know, look, I and most psychosexual therapists, and I'm imagining most um psychotherapists in themselves are very, very busy at the moment. 
Um, uh, but that does not mean for one second that there aren't a lot of us out there, despite the few numbers here in Ireland. Um, first thing I would say was, is if you want to reach out to a therapist, um, COSRA, which I, I'll send you the link to, which is my accreditation body, has ther um, therapists all over the world who are all um, sex and relationship, um, either accredited or maybe they're general members. Um, uh, and then I would also say as well, um, things like mindfulness are really, really good tools. So um, something like Headspace is absolutely vital. It's something that everybody every client that comes to see me I kind of encourage and um, but just to de-escalate on that um anxiety that that and uh, I would be encouraging you as well to think about what brings me joy what do I even enjoy what makes me feel good about myself and do more of that if you can as much as possible um self-compassion is absolutely key um and if you're struggling with erectile issues um, alongside um, the compulsive sexual behaviors or you're just struggling at all, there's a new platform called Mojo Men as well, um, which is great for helping those with the penis struggling with erectile um, dysfunction. Um, and um, that, so I can also send that link to you, Caroline, if you wanted to. to um, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I can put that up. Put also. that up if people yeah. want. Um, a resource and um, but there's loads of therapists out there that will support you that's really good to hear and yeah like you said there's hope and you don't have to go through mm. this alone and or have this be the rest of your life if, if you are struggling mm. so um that's amazing Aoife we could talk for hours because I, I know we've only barely scratched the surface so we will have you back on you're also doing your doctorate in chemsex I believe yeah, that's my current research topic. I'll be back studying after I hang up. On you. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, look, we'll, um, we'll yeah. have you back on in the new year to talk about that as well. And then I think to dive into this topic a little bit more, because I do think that there's a lot to be said on it. And I, I think, you know, if we could almost do a whole day podcast, we still wouldn't be um, scratching everything. But, you know, it, it's a start. And I hope that those resources that you've given there direct people into the right ways and stuff. So um, we're where can people find you if they want to find out more or have a look at your dazzling Instagram content? <laughs> um, well, they can find me at Drury Therapy and um, uh, DruryTherapy.com as well. Drury Therapy is my um, Instagram. I think my Twitter is Drury Sex Therapy, but quite frankly, I, I'm useless on Twitter anyway. So, um, yeah, your website or Instagram. You've got gorgeous <laughs> graphics and lots and lots of information and a very kind of calm accessible way and that's what we like on this podcast we don't like shame or stigma or anything but we Absolutely like calm not. fun conversations and you definitely tick that box so um thank you so much Aoife, for coming on i really appreciate your knowledge and the work you. that you're doing out there and, and the fact that you're helping so many people who might feel they're struggling with something so thank you thank you thank you again to all my listeners and uh, like we said there's lots of resources there so please do reach out you know you are not alone and there is support out there available to you if you want to contact me on social media on twitter and instagram it's aclo west podcast I'll do the same handle on both platforms and like we said at the start if you want to support via patreon it's patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack or you can pop over to apple and rate and review or follow us on spotify and i will talk to you next week 